And let's look at a few verses together. We'll pray together after this. Genesis 1, verse 26 says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Chapter 2, verse 9, across the page. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then finally, chapter 2, look down, if you would, at verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Our Father, thank you for your word. And I ask, Lord, that you'll help us tonight as we look into it and look at it and open our hearts to it. I ask for your help. We need your help. We know that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But we're thankful for the spiritual man, and I pray you'll help us to know your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If there is a common thread, any apparent theme to this or really any study on the foundations of a believer's faith and practice, I am certain that that emerging theme, if you went through it as we are doing, would include the fact that nearly everything that God establishes as foundational, as natural, as absolutely true, every God-given paradigm would become the focus of spiritual opposition. In other words, if God lays something out in the very beginnings, if God lays something out in Genesis as His planned plan and His will, His work and His wisdom, whatever it is, you're going to see this in a moment, even if it's wholesome, even if it is self-evident and clear and healthy, that thing is going to be attacked. It is going to be ridiculed by the lost. Let me give you two examples from Paul's prophecy, his warning about the last days in which we're living. This is 1 Timothy 4, and this is his introduction to it, as you'll notice in verse 1. Now the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Wow, that sounds heavy. Apostasy, seducing spirits, doctrines, the Bible says, of, of devils, which means demons. It sounds really ominous. It is obviously satanic. And so it's got to be in the last days, he must be talking about occultic stuff like drinking blood or human sacrifice or conjuring up the dead, real demonic doctrine stuff. Actually, the seducing 
part is far more seductive than that. Here's the actual last day's departure of faith Paul addresses in the very next verse. Notice verse 3. Forbidding to marry. Let me stop here for a minute. Forbidding to marry. Can I ask you something tonight? Where did marriage come from? And thus, why is it a demonic thing to depart from something as fundamental as marriage and seek to diminish and effectively destroy that thing that God founded in the very, very beginning? And by the way, forbidding to marry, what does that actually look like? What does that mean up there when it says forbidding to marry? Well, you know, Brother Andy mentioned last Sunday night this recent fad whereby women are now marrying themselves, literally, with a ceremony, exchanging of vows to themselves, and now potentially new legislation coming out that allows for this. It's called sologamy, solo, S-O-L-O, as opposed to monogamy. Sologamy is the latest fad. I read an article this week. I've seen pictures of these ceremonies all over the country. And the father, in one of the pictures, was giving the bride to herself as he gave it away, her away. And their argument, these women, is, you know, of course, self-love. Marriage is the one thing that's 100% mine, and I'll never, ever give it away. Okay, so that's new. That's certainly forbidding that in the last days there would come people say, you know, that would forbid to marry. Because I remind you that, folks, this in the Bible is the definition of marriage. Remember that. Therefore shall a man leave his what? Father and his mother. That's another reference to male and female. And that man, that male, it says, will leave father and mother and then he cleaves to his wife and forms a whole new home so any departure from that that's marriage any departure from that isn't really marriage and so therefore it is an indictment against god it's an indictment against marriage that god instituted so yes sologamy is obviously one way to forbid marriage that paul warned of in the last days but so is living together for years. What we used to call when I was young, shacking up. That's forbidding to marry. Another fad in the West that Paul is also referring to, no doubt, includes the recent, fairly recent Supreme Court decision to allow two men to marry. Well, uh, that's not in there. Or two women to marry. Or in Paris... A woman married, her name was Erica Latour Eiffel. She married the Eiffel Tower, literally married the Eiffel Tower. I saw the pictures of the wedding. She's hugging it. She's kissing it. A British woman, her name was Cindy, married a dolphin. I saw the wedding kiss. Got a piece of paper, did the vows, married a dolphin. Lots and lots of people have married a cat. So that's just silly. All right? Yep. But two men marrying like our own Secretary of Transportation, folks, that's not just silly. That's an affront to God. To take marriage that was 
instituted by God and throw it into this thing that has nothing to do with true marriage. They were married in an Episcopal church by both a bishop and a pastor. And of course now they've gone, of course they have, they've gone on to adopt two twins so they can both be dads. These twins, one's a girl, the other's a boy, will never have a mother. Because of their selfish decision, they will never, Mother's Day means nothing, they will never have a mom, which is also part of God's original plan. God's plan is a mother and a father, and eventually the child of that home will leave his father and his mother. And who does he marry? A wife. It's right there in the Bible. Anytime you go away from that plan, you're fostering more and more heartache and sorrow and a generation of pain and trouble and trial. So yes, Paul says that the demonic and the seductive thing in the last days is this seared conscience, no conscience, that promotes anything but, by their pejorative term, quote, traditional marriage. Have you noticed that Hollywood sitcoms, teachers, educators, when they say, oh, traditional marriage, one of the, one of the bylaws of the, the wokeism is they are against, quote, traditional marriage. What that really means is they're against God. They're against the Bible. So that's the first thing Paul notes. Notice the second one. Of, these are doctrines of demons, remember? Verse 4. Verse 3, I'm sorry, go back to verse 3. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. By the way, let me say this. Paul is not teaching here that you have to get married. Paul himself was single. And he tells the Corinthians, you may remember, that being single was a gift of God. It was an unusual, somewhat rare gift that you can embrace if God gives it to you. Our Lord was never married. Paul's not saying you have to get married. Nor is he saying that you have to eat meat. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying, what he's focusing on here, is the prohibition or the change in God's design, because that is an attack on God. If you don't believe that, look at verse 3 again. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meat which God hath created. Circle the word created. Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Note that the Holy Spirit sends Paul right back to the very beginning. He sends him right back to creation and how things in the last days are going to go away from creation. Here's verse 4. For every creature, creation of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Now, putting aside marriage and the home for now, because that's a whole other study or two or three in the future, Let's just consider, and it's a great illustration anyway, of the times in which we're living and for these young people to sort of embrace the truth. Let's consider what God says about the animals, about the meat, the food that he created to receive with thanksgiving. Let's just consider that for a moment. We read a moment ago, for example, look at Genesis 1 and verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over 
the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The Spees reminded me earlier today that two days, two, uh, yeah, a couple days ago in Ireland, the Irish government has been drawing up this plan to destroy 200,000 cows so as to meet these new European protocols to fight climate change. In other words, they have too many cows per capita. This is, this is the Irish uh, legislation, legislator passing this down. The European Union, just six days ago, approved a $1.6 billion Dutch plan to buy out livestock farmers to get rid of the cows and the sheep. And of course, some of these people have their sights on U.S. livestock. Their, their fight, their battle, their goal is to get rid of eating all meat. What's behind this lunacy? Someone says, climate change. No. That's not what's behind it at all. The real issue is creation, the creator, and what he founded. Look at chapter 1, verse 20, would you? And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now, folks, I want you to think about this for a minute. God created the birds to fly in the air. We just read it. And the fish he created to swim. He, created, he made them to swim in the sea. It's an amazing contrast, and yet with an amazing similarity. You take fish and fowl. Both of them have very streamlined forms to enable them to move swiftly through the environment, their own individual habitat. They're made perfectly for that. Both of them have hollow light bones. Both of them lay eggs. Both have very migratory instincts. Both have shingle-like layers of protection, whether it be, whether it be the, uh, the feathers um, or the fins and so forth. So they're very similar. Now, an unbelieving scientist thousands of years later would come on, on these, these animals and say, wow, they see a bird and they say, that bird must have come from that fish. The scales must have evolved into feathers. Not even considering that it's just the same architect who made them both. I mean, if I drew up some elaborate chart, okay, and I began in my fancy chart with really good drawings of an ox cart. And then I moved on to a horse and buggy and finally to modern day automobiles. And that final thing branches off into all of the models of cars, Ford and Chevy and GMC and Tesla and so on and a Toyota. And then I said, look at this chart. And I declared to you that the Buick has similar round tire features as the ancient ox cart. So that obviously that Riviera evolved or is a distant cousin to Ben-Hur's chariot or whatever. Who would buy that? 
Why does similarity equal evolution? Because, you know, God created the planets, the Bible tells us, with his own word. All of them. And if you ever notice, planets are very similar. They're round, they're very hot or very cold, but they don't evolve, and they didn't evolve one from another. It is simply, again, that the same architect made all of it. Anybody who has ever studied Frank Lloyd Wright can look at any house that he has ever built and know that Frank Lloyd Wright was the architect of that particular house. I can tell you right now, I can go to a golf course and I can tell the difference if it's designed by Tom Fazio or Pete Dye. I can play any of those courses and if you want to test it, pay me, send me to all over the country to play all of both of them and I'll get 100% right on that test. So that if anything, all creation really does, which it's designed to do, is to remind us and it proves a, a single creator. Look at verse 22. God blessed him, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. You know, it's interesting that on the fourth day, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. Billions, we are told, of these objects are astronomically big, right, out there. Unimaginably big. And then on this fifth day, he creates life in the waters. Water, beloved, is essentially the seat of all life. There's not a river, there's not a creek or a, a bay or a lagoon that is not teeming with life. A single drop of ditch water can hold 500 million microscopic creatures 500 million so small that a thimbleful of water looks to them like the pacific ocean would look to us let me read this from one of my one of the science journals i get it says half a billion infusoria can live comfortably in a single drop of water they appear in a thousand species some of herbivorous some carnivorous, some have shells, some have none. They possess mouths, teeth, muscles, nerves, glands. Some species have between 100 to 200 sacs or stomachs connected by an intestinal canal. The thickness of the membranes that line those stomachs are estimated to be 150 millionth of an inch. 500 million of these in a thimbleful. Think about that for a minute. Whether you look through a telescope at the big billions, they tell us, or you look at a microscope at the tiny, all of that points to a God who is infinite and who alone can make the majestic stars or the microscopic creatures. There's no such thing as bigness or smallness to a God who is infinite. And that's exactly what creation tells us. So it brings us to this sixth day, where just before the creation of man, okay, and this is all by design, obviously, God is now making his final preparations on this earth for man who he wants to have dominion over all of the rest of creation. This goes against everything, everything our society is pushing today. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, 
and every living thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Note this carefully. Moses writes in this text three classifications of vertebrae creeping things. You'll notice the cattle. That's a Hebrew word. It's different than the others. It's birma and it's four-footed domestic animals. Number two, creeping things, ramas. Those are crawling creatures that are, are made on the ground. The word literally means to swarm. And then the third thing he says, the beasts. That Hebrew word kava means wild beast. So today, now think about this. Today, scientists have classified millions and millions of different species of animals, including something like 800,000 different kinds of insects, 30 to 40,000 kinds of fish, I'm told, 20 to 40, 9,000 kinds of birds. So they increase incredibly, I don't know if you know this, but every year, thousands of new species of insects are discovered every year. Did you know that every year about 40 mammals are discovered? Not previously discovered by scientists at least, or named. And here's the thing. With all of these hundreds and thousands of different species out there, to this day, to this day, to this very moment, they still submit to the very same rule of those three words given by God in verse 25 and throughout the chapter after their kind. There are all kinds of four-footed beasts, dozens of kinds of dogs alone, but there's no such thing as a snake dog. There's no such thing as a butterfly cat. There are 6,000 kinds of reptiles, 5,000 kinds of mammals. In other words, look, the same God who tossed the vast and intangible space, billions upon billions, he tossed into that space billions of stars. And we're told billions of galaxies. That same God who put these stars and planets in these journeys through space at inconceivable speeds and yet with such, ma such mathematical precision that we can predict, predict an eclipse a thousand years in advance. To the minute, that same God created our one planet. As we said last week, this one teeny tiny little dot, but he filled it up. He absolutely filled it with a bewildering number of life forms. If Genesis 1 were a psalm, the end of it would say, Selah, what do you think about that? And yet here is why he did it. All the stars, all the planets, why the seas, why the mountains, why the fish, why the birds? Why do they all declare the glory of God? One reason. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them you'll notice that the Bible does not say that man was created in the image of beast that's evolution it says the exact opposite. 
Man was created in the image of God. In fact, this is very, very crucial. Hear this. It's the very reason why Satan hates Genesis. Why he hates the truth of our foundations. And he loves any theory, evolution, and any other one. Or a fable even that's come down the pike. Notice that God does not say anything yet about man's body. Is that peculiar? Do you know that man's our body, the physical body, isn't even mentioned until chapter 2 and verse 7, and then it's almost a footnote. You know why? Because God does not begin with man's body and then relate that to the beasts. That's what scientists do. He begins by saying, let us make man in our, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, plural. In our image, he begins with man's nature, which is his person, his personality, his moral and spiritual compass, if you will, his capacity for that. He begins with his emotions, his intellect, his conscience, and his will. All of those things that truly make us different, apart, completely and entirely from all other creation. You know, we've said this before, but why is it that animals... Do not experience guilt and a consciousness of judgment to come. I'm not talking about a dog that's, oh no, I'm going to get a whipping because I, I you know, got into the whipped cream or whatever. I'm talking about you look at a leopard and a leopard catches a duck and eats it alive. It's not thinking, oh, this is not nice. It's painful. Why is it animals do not transmit their accumulated achievements from one generation to the next one? Where is their desire to worship? Where is their codified law or their moral judgment? Where is their appreciation for beauty and for God's creation? There's no paintings. There's no buildings. There's no sacred writings. Where is it? And why don't animals, why haven't they learned to cook their food and then make recipes? To make it better and better and yummier and yummier. They still eat the same raw flesh. What animals have learned to cut cloth? or to make cloth, or to invent elaborate tools. What animals enjoy humor, a joke that responds with a hearty laugh? What animal has the gift of speech that humans have? Oh, no, Pastor, whales go, okay. And dolphins go, the one who got married did that. Yeah, they do that. And it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing that God-rejecting men and women are more in awe of that than they are of a baby's first words. And that baby will grow up to be a Shakespeare or write Handel's Messiah. Animals do not ponder their existence. They don't ask questions. They don't wonder. They don't wish. And most importantly... Everything they are and everything they do is for us. Again, say that in a university. Ah, kill him. But it's true. It's, it's observably true. So pastors, birds sing. Yeah, they sing. But the only cre creation that appreciates the beauty of their singing, the distinctiveness, is man. Fish do not come to the surface and, and listen to a bird concert. 
Let's all go up there. That's got to be beautiful. They don't do it. I know Disney, Disney might show a big crowd of forest animals and they're all gathered around. There's the bunny rabbits and all of them and the chipmunks and they're watching a fireworks display. That's cartoons, okay? That's not real life. Rabbits and cows and ducks do not look at the sky on 4th of July and go, ooh, ah. They don't appreciate. Observation has shown all of us that a wolf will not climb to the top of a mountain to see a beautiful sunset. You know why? They don't care. They could care less. There's zero appreciation for a sunset. Oh, but pastor, I saw a beautiful picture, two horses overlooking, you know, the Colorado Rockies in this fresh snow. Okay. You saw the picture. You saw it as beautiful. It's beautiful to you. The only thing those horses are thinking is, where's the grass? I'm hungry. Man stands alone. Physically, he alone walks upright, and mentally, he alone communicates morally and spiritually. He alone has the capacity for God. Remember, let us make man in our image. This is one of so many bridges that evolutionists have never, ever been able to cross, but that the Bible and the foundation has the answer to. Verse 28, and God blessed them, the male and the female. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. Every time you eat chicken and salmon, you're proving the Bible true. And has a chicken eaten you? And over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. How is it that if everything evolved from whatever substance, okay, just go back to the most basic substance uh, 400 million years ago, by chance, by chance, how is it that it did so as male and female? I mean, who would have even thought of that? Did some protozoa in the primordial soup decide, you know, 200 million years from now, it would really be nice for our future life forms if they could fall in love with some babe. We better evolve into two sexes. What, did they say that? Did they think that? Actually, to be honest with you, according to non-believers, it was something even more fantastic and even more fairy tale than them thinking of it. It just happened by mere chance. The truth is, God made it happen. He made it happen when he created the animals and then saw to it that man who was alone shouldn't be alone, and he created a woman from his, uh, the man's own rib. That is the explanation. It is the truth. Nothing is more obvious in the world than the simple fact that everything in the world was designed and made for man. The things that taste good, the things that bring comfort. The sheep, here's the verse in the Bible, the sheep are for, now, let a university fill in the rest of that verse. The sheep are for having fun, for bouncing in the prairie, and I mean the plains, the sheep are for, no, the Bible says the sheep are for your clothing. That's what the Bible says. So God gave man a mandate to look over creation 
and to have dominion over it, to subdue it, not to abuse it, to use it. And you know, the crisis of any environment, if it's a real crisis in an environment, is only due to man getting away from this mandate, his own greed, his own carelessness. But the evidence still proves, beloved, that it's all for man. The beauty is for man. You're the only one who can appreciate it. You guys who go scuba diving or snorkeling, you go down the bottom down there and you see this beauty, who's that for? It's only for you. The wonder of creation, it is a reminder that like the mighty Amazon River that moves millions of tons of water, huge in some places in its width, moving all of this water, eventually it all flows to one little spot. So too does all of creation eventually flow to one little place, and that place is you. God did this for man. You say, well, Pastor, I just think that we should be good stewards. Well, yeah, that's in the scriptures as well. You know the, you know the acronym PETA? People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. That's a biblical mandate right there. I'm a person, and I believe in the ethical treatment of animals. There really wouldn't be a PETA if there weren't the Word of God, because the Bible's the first one. I have no problem with that word PETA. There's just one thing. The word ethical. How does man determine what's ethical? Where does the word ethics come from? How do you know what's right or wrong outside of this book? The truth is, it's actually God's law that presented man with ethics about God's creation. You ever read about God's requirement about not robbing an egg nest in Deuteronomy 22? If you come upon a nest and it's got little babies in it, you're not allowed. You know, there's no other writings of the pagan cultures that would even think to write that down. It's in the law of God. It's conservation, protection of species, compassion. That's in God's word. When the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn, that kind of mercy and that kind of wisdom was foreign to the heathen world. And guess what? It still is. So that yes, compassion is far, far more in the nature of God's people, of Christians, true believers, than it is in godless countries or humanism or communism or pantheism. They used to say, oh, Farmer John, man, you can tell he got saved by the way he treats his mule. It's true. The Bible says in Proverbs, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, and that is the truth. So don't believe this lie, young people, that if you're a Bible-believing Christian and you believe in dominion and subduing creation and that it was created for you, don't believe the lie that you're cruel because you eat meat. In the last days, demon doctrines will come along. If you really want to see animal torture and suffering, go to non-Christian cultures. Look at hedonists. Go to the third world. Watch what animal cruelty is really about. Christians in this country aren't the ones who enjoy dog fights and animal torture. Now, having said that, it's very important to understand that there is still an eternal difference between animals and man. Because man 
is created in the image of God. And in closing tonight, just in your mind, go back to the first words of our introduction. That anything that is foundational, such as these two things we just talked about, that Paul talks about the last days and marriage, anything that is foundational in the Bible, the first words of our introduction, those truths are going to be attacked relentlessly and opposed relentlessly. If God is for it, the devil is against it. And how does that look, for example, in Scripture? Put it this way. What did Jesus do? What did our Lord, the Creator, do in contrast to modern thought? He fed thousands of people with fish. I'm telling you, PETA, I say the acronym's good, the group, they call um, these tanks that used to be in Walmart, do they still have fish tanks in Walmart? I think they ran them out. Aqua babies. They're concentration camps. It's terrible. You should never do that to a fish. Okay, then what does that say about Jesus who fed the multitude with fish? He rode on a donkey. Donkeys don't ride on men. He calls himself the shepherd. He tells a parable about a fatted calf. A fatted calf to be butchered, to be eaten. He talks about the good father who gives his son an egg if he asks for it. He promised a land that's flowing with milk and honey. There's a growing movement in this country that says that's stealing. You're stealing from the bees and you're stealing from the cows. What are the bees going to do with honey? It was made to put in your hot tea. Even the resurrected Christ, in his glory, the resurrected Jesus served broiled fish that he made over a fire to his disciples. And every year we'd eat lamb at the Passover. So if this new ethic is true, then it's an indictment on Jesus himself who created these things all these things to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Make no mistake. Animism, evolution, in the, in the light of modern animal rights, it's an indictment against God. So that they've it's gotten to the point they're against leather, so they say. They're against fur, milk, pet stores, dog shows, fishing in any national parks. They even talk to Disney into catching all of its rats in live traps so that they can be released unharmed. That's dumb. You got a rat, kill it. <laughs> now again, I, I despise animal abuse. I, if I see a bird with a broken wing, I tear up. I want to get out of my car and heal it. I do, I tear up. God himself notices, he says, the sparrow that falls. God knows when every sparrow falls. But God also is the one who said, how much better is a man than a sheep? How much better? Infinitely. He's created in God's image. And this is the truth. And to go on any more in the Bible, you have to first know the foundation and the truths. And God's people said, amen. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray in this society that it just seems like it's crazier and crazier. And we haven't even touched on marriage yet, true marriage. 
but certainly, Lord, with creation that you gave to us, you designed in its marvel and its wonder to point to you and it's being diminished. It's being diminished by people who are trying to make it just an academic study when it's really a wonder. And only those created in your image even have the capacity to wonder. Help us never to lose the wonder and thus give you glory. Help us to be responsible as stewards of this earth, but all the while recognizing that you've called us to enjoy and embrace it and glorify you for it. Help, it to, help this to set our thinking on the right path so that as we continue in this series, we will have more understanding about the things that you've laid out in your word. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' precious name. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.